How's it going? Good, man. How are you? I can't hear you for a sec. Oh, uh, I'm good. I'm good. I uh, appreciate you having me on. Thank you very much for that. Dude, I appreciate you coming on. Everyone is always so grateful that like we're having them on. And I don't think you guys realize like we wouldn't be anywhere without you. I think it's more so uh, I'm sure there's a lot of people that could, you know, be sitting here instead of me right now. You know what I mean? So still got to be grateful. Yeah, that's awesome, man. It's it's very positive of you. And and so are, are, is your name C. Do? Uh, yeah, it's just like an abbreviation of my real name, which is Charles Dolan, you know. Okay. Um, but yeah, you can call me Chuck, Charles, C. Do. It's all good. Okay. Chuck? Chuck. Yep, that works. Monosyllable. And um, so, Chuck, is there something in particular that, you uh, you know, you were thinking we could talk about today or maybe something that we could help you with? Um, I mean, I guess I could uh, kind of, you know, break down what I'm going through. I don't like I don't really Please. like talk about this, so I'm not really sure like what I should be talking about or what you're interested in or what you can okay. even do to help me. Um, but, you know, basically I've been, I've been dealing with like anxiety for a long time and I would say it's gotten progressively worse. Um, it started to like hit me really bad when, uh, my wife was pregnant with her first kid. I don't know if it was related. Um, I feel like subconsciously, I guess it would have to be related if that's like when it started getting bad. But, um, <clears throat> basically I'm like, it, it's kind of weird. Like I'm actually ha like afraid to have anxiety. Like, I think my, my biggest fear is like having a panic attack because like one time I had like a panic attack that lasted like what I would say was like an hour or something. And I felt like I, I wasn't in control of my body. Like I felt like, I felt like reality became like fake, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Um, it's kind of hard to explain. So I feel like that's like my biggest fear. And like, I feel like I'm constantly like overthinking and I just like, I just have like, um, constant like chatter in my head like okay am i gonna have a panic attack okay i'm feeling nervous like like the slightest thing like wow i feel like a tingle like in my body like oh my my heart is like beating faster like you know anything just kind of starts like those thoughts that just don't ever stop if that makes sense like it just sure it's most of the time i would say it's like an all-day thing but um you know i kind of had like this uh this thing on my stream a few days ago, which, you know, kind of started, you know, me reaching out and trying to make like small improvements. And, uh, I would say for the most part, it's been better, like, you know, significantly better. And generally it is better. I think I just had a, a string of like really bad days, but, um, you know, even then, like when I'm feeling normal, like my brain is just so weird. I'll be like, wow, I haven't thought about anxiety in a while. Oh, now I'm going to start thinking about it. You know, it's like, like I notice myself feeling good and then I start to question, oh, yeah. I'm feeling good. Your like, anxiety is like, uh, -uh. you're not allowed to uh, do that. It, just doesn't, it doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. Yeah. Wow, dude, it sounds heavy, bro. I mean, you know, um, I I don't want to, I guess, oversell it. Like I, I feel like, you know, I'm probably doing better than some other people that are dealing with this because I do, I do do my daily things and, you know, I, I travel, I go out and stuff like that, but it's definitely, sometimes I feel like it's harder to enjoy like living in the moment, you know, and it, it kind of sure. makes me sad sometimes. So. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, man. How long have you been kind of carrying this around? Like the, how long has this anxiety been with you? I mean, like I said, I've had it uh, at a young age. I would probably, well, I don't know how young is young, but like maybe like my mid teenage years, like 16 or something is like when I, you know, experienced my first panic attack. And then uh, it's probably been really 
pretty rough for like three ish years now. Like, you know, my son's almost three and it was like while we were pregnant with him. So, um, I would say that's like when it, it started to get not nearly as manageable. Like I actually had to get like medicated for it because I was waking up every single day shaking. Like my, my whole day would be me like literally shaking and I, I couldn't stop it. And it was, I couldn't eat. And I was, you know, I was struggling really bad and I tried, you know, really hard to not do that. But like the medication helped me so much that I was like, this, this just had to be, Good. you know, the answer because I, I couldn't live the way I was living. Absolutely, man. So I'm, I'm glad that you got mental health treatment um, because it, it certainly sounds to me like this is like a clinical case of anxiety. And um, I'm also kind of noticing uh, so, so can, do you mind if I ask you a couple of questions just about what kind of treatment you've tried and a little bit of your treatment history? Sure. Um, yeah, go ahead. Feel free to are, ask me anything. Are, yeah. So, so, and, and the, so let me take a step back and explain why I'm asking. So usually we steer clear of clinical topics on stream because this really isn't supposed to be medical advice. Mm-hmm. The reason I want to ask you a little bit about uh, your treatment history is because in my experience as a psychiatrist... There are some things that have to do with clinical anxiety, and there are actually non-clinical solutions that we can learn around anxiety as well. And I basically want to parse out how much of the clinical stuff has been done so that I know how to approach the non-clinical stuff, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So I've got a couple of like basic questions for you, okay? You don't Mm -hmm. have to answer anything because this is your personal medical history. It's going to be like super high-level stuff. So it sounds like uh, you're taking medication now and that the medication helps. Yeah. Okay. Um, And it sounds like you started medication around the time that your wife was pregnant. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Have you tried psychotherapy or something besides medication? No. Okay. So that's 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 basically all the questions I need to ask, because um, that'll sort of help me understand, like, what to include and what not to include and kind of how we go from here. Sure. Um, any particular reason you haven't tried uh, psychotherapy? Honestly, um, I would feel I would say like until as of like recently, um, I kind of feel like I just my thought process was like if I just kind of deal with this and like try and forget about it, it will go away. Like I didn't really like talking about it. Like this conversation actually is like kind of like making me nervous a little bit, but I'm, I'm happy I to be that. here and it's like. I, I also didn't really like want to go to a like, you know, I guess a psychologist. Is that mm-hmm. because like, I, I don't know. I just. I guess it, I guess it just made me a little bit nervous, you know, like it. Sure. So yeah. let's start. Let's start because you said that you have trouble being present focused. Right. So let's start in the mm-hmm. present. So I noticed sure. that when we started the conversation, you were doing well and then. And then as especially when I asked you a little bit about your treatment history, you've started crossing your arms. I'm noticing you're feeling more nervous. So tell me how you feel right now. I mean, I guess I I guess I feel a little bit nervous. You know, I'm, I'm OK. You know, I'll definitely it? make it through the conversation. But yeah, absolutely. So so I, I want to just point out that language because it's so interesting, right? It's like you're uh, you play WoW, right? Mm-hmm, yes. So what I'm hearing is like. You've got a couple of dots on you and your HP is it's fucking ticking down. But you're like, you know, I'll make it like I'm still going to wipe like, you know, we're still going to win the raid. Like we're running out of mana like this boat is sinking, but we're going to make it to shore. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm hearing from you. Which which is like 
it's a god awful way to go through life. For sure. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. You know, so so I, I think that our goal here is not to make it through to some, you know, it's like, let's figure out how we can, you know, cleanse those dots. Mm-hmm. Right. Because what I want to help you with is like to not have to live this way. It's not about overcoming your anxiety to survive. Like that's just not any way to live life. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I I can see that you've learned how to do that really well. Actually, really awesome and noble. Like I'm sure that your, you know, your kid is grateful. Your family is grateful that you've learned how to manage that anxiety. But it's also like I can see it kind of clawing away at you and you're sort of like keeping it at bay while you're trying to live your life. And you're sort of protecting your loved ones from the impact of that anxiety. Does that make sense to you or resonate at all? Yeah, it does. How do you feel right now? Uh, I feel, you know, the same. Okay. uh, You know, did that do anything to your nervousness as you were listening to that? Not necessarily. I think it's kind of like, I think it like kind of plateaus, you know what I mean? Okay. So the most part. Tell me what, what do you mean by nervousness? Um, what do you experience right now? Uh, I guess like, I just kind of like, I feel like weird in my own skin. Does that make sense? Like, mm-hmm. I guess. And then, um, maybe that's kind of it. I, I don't know. Like, I just, I guess I like try and just do things like, I like fiddle my hands and, you know, move, move around a little bit. Um, I don't know. And and, uh, this may sound, so I'm going to, you know, see your weird statement and raise you in a weirder statement. Do you think Mm -hmm. that sometimes when you fiddle and stuff, you're trying to find your way back into your own skin? I'm not sure. I feel like it's a way for me to just like do something and I guess like just keep my hands moving or, I mean, just like a, like maybe like a nervous tick or something like tapping your leg or. You know, okay. like playing with something in your hands, just just to move around, I guess. Okay. Are you having particular thoughts right now? No. I feel like for the most part, unless like my mind is like running really crazy when I'm like distracted, I'm like generally okay. Um, and like I said, you know, since like that, those uh, few days ago, I started like uh, trying to eat better and trying to exercise a little bit. I'm not doing anything crazy and you know, some people recommended like 15 minutes of, you know, deep breaths before and after you wake up. And I've been doing that. And I, I kind of felt like there was like immediate results. Like sure. I felt like my my uh, my thought process slowed down quite a bit. Not like in a I can't like function way, but like the racing thoughts like definitely almost went away immediately. Okay. Um, like I had a, I had a string of, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, really bad days. And uh, where I just kind of is- felt like my whole day. I just couldn't like enjoy anything except the fact that like, you're not going to have a panic attack. You're not going to have a panic attack. You're going to be okay. Like, you know, the just, you know. So that's um, what the racing thoughts are. They're kind of. Sometimes, you know, that's definitely, I would say like the start of it. Um, you know, sometimes it could get worse than that. Um, you know, what I've always per- been like, no, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. What percentage of your anxiety is about being anxious? A lot. I would say I like, I, like I told you, like my, my first panic attack was like, um, like super, like scary to me, like to a traumatizing matter. Like I was, you know, I thought I was going to die and I was afraid that, um, you know, I was afraid that, uh, I would like 
potentially like I could lose my mind and never like be brought back to sanity. And, um, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be able to control myself. And, you know, there would be times where I'm driving, like, what if I have a panic attack right now? Do I just die? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, like, um, going on flights and stuff. Like what if I have a panic attack on the plane, you know, like what the hell's going to happen? Like I can't get off. Like, you know, Chuck, have you ever heard of the term agoraphobia? Uh, I'm recently started reading uh, Panic to Power, and I think it's been used in there a few times. Uh, do you have a have they explained in the book or do you remember in the book how they describe agoraphobia? So I, I, I want to explain this explain. just to educate people. OK, so, um, you know, this is something that you should consider talking to your 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 provider about, but just to explain to you kind of how this works. So first of all, what, bro, what you're describing is like completely normal in the sense mm-hmm. that some people, for whatever reason, and we can get to that in a second, are kind of like when they create their character, they get the they get the panic or anxiety trait. And mm-hmm. and so sometimes what happens is people who have panic attacks will sometimes become agoraphobic. And what agoraphobic means f- is fear of going outside. So they stay home and and sometimes in really severe cases, they'll be, you know, stuck in their home for years at a time. Sounds like you've already, you know, I don't think that's going to happen to you. So because if it was going to happen, it would have already happened. So I think you kind of dodged that bullet. But I think the reason that I bring up agoraphobia right now is because I think it illustrates a lot of what you're going through. So the reason that people become agoraphobic is out of a fear of having a panic attack and being in an uncontrolled environment when they have a panic attack. So it's not like they literally like are afraid of the sun or the sky or other people. Literally, if you talk to people who are agoraphobic and these are people who like, you know, it's very hard for them to leave the house. What they tell you is, what if I have a panic attack in those kinds of places? And they're so afraid of losing control in the outside, like outside of their home, that they end up that fear becomes so powerful that they never leave. Mm -hmm. And there's also sort of like this agoraphobia light which is like when people are able to actually leave the home, but whenever they leave the home, their mind is constantly scanning for like methods of escape. Like, what if I have a panic attack while I'm on a plane? Like, what would I do? What if I have a panic attack if I go to a party? Like, how am I going to escape from that situation if I start to lose control? Does that do you have those kinds of thoughts? I would say it's not like as bad as you're describing it. Like the plane one is definitely, uh, you know, a fear of mine for sure. Like I'm not afraid to fly. I'm not afraid like the plane is going to crash. Like, you know, like it's literally just like I'm afraid I'm going to get uncomfortable on the plane. And, um, you know, I've definitely been in that situation before where I I started to feel panic attack coming on. And I've, I've gotten this like, you know, even recently. And although it scares the living crap out of me, I just tell myself, you know, shut up and take deep breaths and no one will even notice like you're going to be 100 percent fine. And that's what happens. Like if I feel like one coming on, like I don't know how to explain it, like hits me and I'm like in shock for a second. I'm just like. And then I feel like a little bit tingly, you know, what I mean, like I feel like a little bit tingly and then I'm I'm OK, you know, like that's just that's just it. And um, it's weird because I feel like. Um, you know, I said about driving and stuff, like sometimes I'll think about what happens and I'm just like, doesn't matter. You got to live your life. You know, like if it happens, you know, worst, worst case scenario, pull over, like, yep. you'll be a hundred percent fine. Like, and it's never happened while driving before. And 
So I'm um, noticing that there's like a dialogue in your head. Oh, 100%. I talk to myself all the time. Hope that doesn't make me crazy. Nope. Doesn't. It makes you sane. Okay. Um, so, so uh, Chuck, I'm going to lay out a couple of options, okay? Mm-hmm. Actually, let me make a, like one or two observations. So, um, I, I think today could be really good in terms of we can like discuss and I can explain. How are you feeling, by the way? I'm all right. You know, I would say just all right. Like, I mean, I could I could say I'm good, but obviously, like I am I am a little nervous. I was a little nervous about uh, uh, coming on here in general. Like I said, like uh, this isn't something I, I've done ever. Like I, I don't talk about this really. And I just kind of broke down, you know, a few days ago. And, uh, you know, I'll talk to my wife and stuff like she obviously knows. But this is obviously something I've never done publicly before. Um, Sounds like you so. haven't really done it much privately either. No, yeah, I don't. I don't. What I just, keeps you what keeps you from talking about it? I would honestly say like I felt like my thought process was if I ignored it, it'll go away and the more I talk about it, the more real it is, you know? Like Sure. Like I don't I I literally don't like talking about it. Like people would come in my chat and say like, "What are you going on Dr. K for?" and I like don't even want to answer that question. Even though, and, like, I'm the one who did it publicly, like, and and how does it feel when they ask you that question? I don't, I don't even like like saying the word anxiety or reading it or anything like it, I, you know, because I feel like once I see it, then I uh, like it doesn't stop in my brain. You know what I mean? Like, I could be completely fine, and I see it, and then I'm like, oh shoot, here we go. You know, like I just got to think about it until it goes away. Yeah. So I know this sounds kind of like this is going to be a weird question. Um, what do you think about thinking that if you ignore it, it'll go away? Um, that's kind of like what I, I guess, like what my philosophy was originally, right? Like, yeah. Why do you think um, you had that philosophy? I guess because in my younger years, for the most part, it worked. Does that make sense? Excellent. Yeah. Good. So, so I'm really happy to hear you say that, Chuck. Because a lot of people who are listening may think that that's a bad philosophy to have. Like if you ignore problems, they don't go away. But this is the first thing I want you to understand. If your mind is doing something, there's a damn good reason for it. Mm -hmm. And so oddly enough, I do think that ignoring it will make it go away is actually an oddly effective strategy that sort of worked for you. Because Mm -hmm. let's remember if we really tunnel down to it, I know it sounds really weird, but if we really tunnel down into it, what happens if you open the door to your anxiety? It kind of like pours out like it's absolutely you know. right. So like ignoring it is your way of keeping the door closed, because one thing that we can listen to you. And if you really like if you just kind of think about it for a second, the anxiety gets out of your control so easily. So it's like a bucking bronco that gets like let loose in your house. And then it's just like jumping all over this place, smashing furniture. And so really the only thing that you've learned or not the only, the most effective thing that you have learned so far is just to keep it outside of the house. Mm-hmm. And and this is where I don't think that ignoring it is really fair. What I'd really say is like not letting it into your mind, because what mm-hmm. I'm hearing from you is that once it gets into your mind, there's racing thoughts, there's thought loops, you know, one thought leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. And then you like start having this dialogue with yourself. And then that kind of like fuels your anxiety even further. And sometimes you you win. But I'd also venture that sometimes when you argue with yourself, the anxiety is kind of like a punching bag where the harder you hit it the harder it swings back. Mm -hmm. 
And so ignoring it is actually it's it's not really like ignoring it per se when this is where ignoring really means not letting it into your mind. Because if we think about what does the word ignore mean, it means the active process of preventing thoughts about something in your mind. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think ignoring it is a fantastic tool in your arsenal of dealing with anxiety. Second thing I want to point out. So then there's this dialogue component where sometimes you fight with your anxiety and sometimes mm-hmm. you win and sometimes you lose. But the problem with fighting with your anxiety is that oftentimes it fuels the tension in your mind. Right. Mm-hmm. And if we think about it, like the low anxiety states are actually states of low energy in the mind. Would you agree with that statement or does that make statement make sense with you for you? Um, not exactly in terms of making sense. Okay. So like when you're calm, your mind is not doing a whole lot. And when you're anxious, your mind is doing a ton. Mm -hmm. And I would venture that when you fight against your anxiety, the total amount of activity in the mind is increasing. Mm -hmm. And I would also venture that when the total amount of activity in the mind increases, you get closer to anxiety. Okay. And if you really think about it, when you succeed in fighting your anxiety and you stop and you take deep breaths, what happens to the energy in your mind? I guess it would go down. Absolutely. Right. So the more energy in your mind, it's almost like there's like this portal that is spawning anxious thoughts. And the more energy you pump into the mind, the more anxious thoughts it spawns. And sometimes you actually like attack the portal and you try to like, you know, overcome it with willpower. That can actually make your anxiety worse. And what actually works is stopping to fight. It's just like zoning out. Yeah. Right. Like you're just like. I can definitely agree with that. Um, And and so if we think about it, zoning out is also like ignoring. Like ignoring Mm -hmm. is not letting not zoning in in the first place. There's no zoning in. There's no aggro. And sometimes now what you've learned is like, okay, like I don't want to zone in. And now that like we're aggroed, like let's just zone out. Because sometimes you'll sit there and you'll like, you know, you get aggro, you start tanking, you start spamming all your buttons and all your cooldowns. And sometimes you win and sometimes you wipe. But either way, like even while you're fighting that battle, life continues going on. Mm -hmm. You know, time to feed your kid and put your kid to bed. And here you are fucking spamming your cooldowns trying to fight that anxiety, like in your head, you know, no one else is aware, but you're like getting wiped in a raid, (laughs) you know? And so there's this really interesting, like principle of like energy and anxiety where actually what we want to do is unplug our mind. And so this is where breathing exercises can help. That's just kind of a point that I wanted to make. I'm going to toss out a couple of different things and then you tell me what you want to talk about. Okay. Next thing that I want to point out is that you know, your problem is not the anxiety. It is also your response to the anxiety. Mm-hmm. So the anxiety is not something that you control. But then you do something like half of your panic is around the fear of future anxiety. It's not even like the core anxiety. So mm-hmm. our mind does this thing where sometimes, um, you know, we have adaptations to circumstances. And then sometimes the adaptations actually end up hurting us more. Like, just to give you an example, if I'm depressed and I start drinking because it makes the feelings of depression go away, then that sort of works. But like now I've created a whole new problem. 
Mm-hmm. So in your case, I think there are two area, two ways you can move forward. One is you can move forward with the root of your anxiety. And the second is you can move forward with the response to your anxiety. Does that make sense? Um, are you going to like kind of go in detail in like, uh, how, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Y- yeah. So like there's the original panic attack, which you sort of can't control. Mm-hmm. And then there is your fear. There's almost like the PTSD from the panic attack. Mm-hmm. And what I'm saying is that if we really look at it, those are like two separate issues. Mm-hmm. And and so what I mean is that like you can tackle both of those and your anxiety can get better by preventing the original panic attack or working through that original panic attack. But also by like relearning how to deal with that original panic attack. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. And then kind of the last thing or two more things that we can kind of touch on. And I know it's kind of scattered when I'm kind of pointing out. I'm going to use the shotgun approach and then you let me know like what you're interested in. Okay. Um, so is that we can get to the origins. So I can ask you like, you know, what was going on in your teenage years? What was your upbringing like? What was your first panic attack like? What happened when your wife got pregnant? Um, and we can kind of you kind of say subconsciously there has to be a connection. You're right, by the way. And so we can kind of dig into that and maybe help you see that connection if you want to. A lot of people do that kind of stuff. Like those are the kinds of conversations that a lot of people benefit from on stream, but we don't have to do that. And then the last thing that we can talk about is like a little bit about the physiology of anxiety. And so almost like a neuroscience perspective, like you're, you're using these phrases like, I don't feel like I'm in my own skin. And like what is actually happening in your body? What is happening in your brain? To create these kinds of sensations of like depersonalization, where you feel like you're not in reality anymore. And then that begs the question, what is reality and what is you? So there's sort of like this physiologic neuroscience, like weirdly spiritual, you know, like, let's talk about the nature of the universe and existence, man. So there's like kind of that tack too. And I think these are all like useful things to talk about. It's kind of like what you are interested in. Um, hmm. Let's see here. Um, I, I kind of, I kind of feel like we should go with the first one and it's going to sound really weird, but I feel like that is the one that is going to like make me like the most anxious to talk about because I like have only talked about it like once or twice, like, you know, like, um, number one, if you wanted to know more about like my childhood, I'm more than happy to tell you, but like the manner and like how I had a panic attack and stuff like it kind of still scares me to this day. Um, so maybe like getting that out and like having you touch up on it would maybe make me feel better. I, I don't know. Okay, good. So, so beautiful. So now Chuck, we're going to be scientists. Okay. We're going to party sure. up. We're going to, we're going to be scientists. So I want you to pay attention. Notice your fear and wanting to talk about it. Mm hmm. Notice that you're pushing yourself in spite of your fear. Mm -hmm. And what I want you to keep track of, because you're the only one that can do this, is notice what happens to your various thoughts and emotions as we talk about it. So do things get better? Do they get worse? Both are possibilities. Mm -hmm. Do they feel Mm -hmm. the same? Do some things get better and some things feel relieving? Like all kinds of stuff, okay? So let's just see if it does help. Because Mm -hmm. maybe if it does help, maybe you should you know, we can talk a little bit about seeing a therapist more long term. Okay. Sure. So tell me about your childhood, bro. Um, where should I start? I don't know. What was growing up like? 
Um, it's all right, I guess. I would. Um, my my parents eventually ended up getting divorced. Um, so I would say that it was not a very good marriage. Um, it was actually like pretty openly bad. Like I felt like they would actually fight quite a bit. Um, it was my dad was like a little like OCD crazy. Um, what does that mean? So would, like if if something wasn't like completely straight or not done his way, like it was a problem. Like it was like um, maybe like military status. Like you know, you walk in the house, shoes off at the door. If you leave your bedroom. It has to be perfect. We weren't allowed to sit on our beds unless it was bedtime. Um, so we would literally watch TV in our rooms on the floor. Um, if we were to leave our house, we would have to have bedroom checks to like make sure it was straight enough in order for us to be able to leave. Um, there would be times where like we would eat dinner, and if I wasn't eating fast enough, like I w- if I didn't like finish my food by a certain time, I would have to go to bed. Like my dad would like put a timer on. Um, before I say all this, I should probably say I actually have a good relationship with my dad now. Like I, I know that, you know, when he was younger, he was kind of like, I don't want to say crazy, but you know, he was a little, his methods probably weren't the best for parenting. Sure, sure. sure. But you know, we're definitely, uh, we're definitely past that. Um, okay. but I would say, you know, my sister and I probably favored my mom. Like my dad would go away for work and we would always be like pretty happy when he was gone. We would stay up late and, you know, um, yeah. Do you remember then, uh, what it felt like, like when you were eating your food? I didn't like it. I was, I was like, there was, I actually had this thing for a long time where I wouldn't eat the last bite of my food. Like it was like, I don't know why, because I, I feel like I, I think one time I like overate and threw up, but like, I don't know. I, there was for a long time, I wouldn't eat the last bite of my food because I felt like, uh, Maybe I would throw up or maybe I like since I wasn't being forced to, I didn't have to. I I don't know. But I just I I do remember that was like a part of like uh, my mindset for a while. Okay. So Um, um, can I ask you a couple more questions? Yeah, for sure. I'm going to need a second to try to find the right question. Is that okay? Mm hmm. What was it like growing up with a dad like that? I mean, for me, it was normal, I guess. Like, I didn't I didn't really think much of it at the time. Um, I definitely spent, like, a lot of time at friends' houses. Like, I would almost say, like, a few of my friends' parents, like, would have, like, literally adopted me or considered me their kid at the time. Like, I would, I would be there all the time. I had, like, a bunch of different friends where I would be there nonstop, stay over nonstop. Almost every single weekend, I probably never stayed home. Why? Um, not, not even because like I didn't want to be home, but because I enjoyed like you know I would say my other friends' houses like way more like more what freedom. You, yeah, what did you enjoy about being there? I mean, probably spending time with my friends, more freedom in general. Um, you know, it just felt like we got to do a lot more. Like my house was like always really strict when my dad was home, um, and I wouldn't say it was very fun. Yeah. Um, and I actually remember one time specifically, this is probably like a little off topic and completely random, but my mom came home with like a, a video game for computers called Mech Wars. And my dad made her go back to the store and take it back and specifically said, computers are not meant for video games. And I still, I still give him hell for that comment to this day. Cause I'm like, that's how I make my living now. But yeah. you know, 
So sometimes I would go to my friend's houses and play computer games. And what do you do you remember how you felt when your dad made your mom do that? Probably pretty sad. I was like, damn, that game looks super awesome. And it's funny because I would play video games on my computer all the time, but it was just like pinball and stuff like that. And they just came with the computer and I don't think he knew. Yeah. So it sounds like there were, you know. And and what did they fight about? Everything. I can't remember specific arguments, but they just did not get along very well. Do they you got remember when I was in eighth grade? Okay. When you were 13? Yeah, just about. Yeah. When was your first panic attack? Like 16. Okay. But I, I will say, and like, this is, uh, this is, um, you know, maybe not relevant, but like I experienced my first panic attack when I was smoking weed. So it's actually very relevant. Okay. <laughs> we yeah. can talk about that too. Um, so, uh, I'm going to just, I'm trying to figure out how to goose step around this, but I just going to come out. So it sounds like, you know, you grew up in a household that breeds anxious kids. Potentially. I mean, my, my mom dealt with, uh, pretty bad anxiety. My sister deals with anxiety, depression, and, uh, I deal with anxiety. So it's, it's, you know, possibly passed down as well. But yeah, so sure, there's a hereditary component. So there's a really interesting study, kind of bizarre. So they take kids who are anxious and parents who are anxious. And what they actually mm-hmm. do is give anxiety medication to the parents. Mm-hmm. And then the kid's anxiety goes down. Interesting. Gets almost the same therapeutic benefit as medicating the kid. Hmm. And and it's really weird, but like anxiety is sort of, you know, kids are very attuned to their parents. Mm-hmm. And so, like, when the parent is anxious, like, imagine you're six years old and, like, your mom is, like, freaking out, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what, like, the kid is going to be like, what's wrong? Right. I'm freaking out. I don't understand what's going on, but I can tell it's bad. It's a really fascinating study. But what, what I'm kind of really noticing is that, like, if we think about anxiety, what I think about as of anxiety is, like, anticipation of danger. Mm-hmm. So, if you really think about, you know, I know it sounds kind of like a weird question, but why do human beings get anxious? Like why, like, but we have parts of our brain that make us anxious. And why does our brain Mm -hmm. do that? And it's Mm -hmm. because anxiety is actually a protective mechanism. So our brain's capacity to anticipate danger actually protects us. And what I'm actually noticing is that your house was sort of a dangerous place. Like if you sit on the bed, like you got, like you, like, you know, I don't, I I mean, this may be so built (laughs) into you, but like, you know, I can't imagine what it's like to live in a house where like if you sit in your bed like what would your dad do it wouldn't like hurt us but we'd probably get yelled at and right to to go up on that even more like i know i know everything that i dealt with as a kid was obviously very strange and i'm i'm like pretty close with my wife and her dad and like we kind of like you know we talk about it and laugh about it and like when we're at family dinners like i tell my dad the crazy stuff he did and he's like that never happened you know you know we laugh about it but um we How does it feel when he says that never happened? Doesn't bother me because me and my sister know it was true. You know, we don't we're not making this stuff up. Um, but when we were like living there, like we were only allowed to eat at like designated eat times. And I mean, like there was breakfast, lunch and dinner and there was no in between. And we would we would literally sneak snacks um, and because we'd be hungry and like 
eventually when my parents got divorced, um, I lived with my dad for the first year and I didn't like it because my mom and my sister weren't there. So I ended up living with my mom and eventually my dad found like all these hidden like snack wrappers and trash in my closet because if we threw them in the trash, you would see them like legit. And I remember going to bed hungry and I would have to like tell my mom, like I'm hungry and she would have to sneak me food. Like she would literally sneak me like ham and cheese and stuff like in my bed just so I wouldn't go to bed hungry. Do you remember how you felt when you were hungry and she was doing that? No, like I said, I didn't, I just thought my dad was super strict and you know, my mom wasn't strict. Like that was my thought process. It wasn't like my dad is a horrible human being and people are probably thinking that. And I I don't really want them to think that, you know, looking back at it, he was definitely kind of a dick, but I don't know if it's how he was, you know, raised and whatnot. Sure. My grandpa was like the nicest guy on earth, by the way. So <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that's how, where he got it from, but yeah. So, um, I want to just say a couple of things. So first is that, you know, sometimes when people come on stream and they share like things from their upbringing, like they can paint their parents to be in a really bad light. And that's not really what we're here for. No, yeah, right? that's not what and, I'm trying to do. And, and, and so I think it's like, especially as children, you know, I'm sure your dad did all kinds of awesome stuff too. We're just not talking about it. And actually it sounds like, or maybe not. Maybe. I mean, he used <laughs> to play baseball with me and take me to my games and stuff like that, but yeah, I mean, there was probably some, there's probably some, you know, awesome stuff in there. All right. So Getting let's just, let, you know, we're not, we're not here to bash your dad. And at the same time, I think it's really important to not let protecting a parent get in the way of your authentic experience of growing right, up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but I, I mean, I, I, this is going to sound kind of weird, Chuck, but like, you know, you kind of grew up in a fucked up household, bro. I've, I've gotten that before. <laughs> right. And, and so I, I think the, the important thing there is that I, like I could imagine, like I could just imagine like when I put myself in your shoes, like having, you know, it sounds like, and I, I don't, I know this is going to make your dad sound like in a bad light, but it actually like reminds me, like I've worked with some people who are like Holocaust survivors and like, they're like, you know, they're being snuck food, like living in, like they're like in a closet and someone has to like, sneak them food you know like being snuck food is like it's just not a common experience yeah as as a father i couldn't imagine like my kid you know saying he's hungry and i'm like no go to bed like it's not time to eat like it's like absolutely right And, and and so the other interesting thing is like what i'm hearing from you chuck is that the anxiety is like baked into you possibly yeah And the interesting thing is, if you really think about it, like what would happen if your dad caught your mom sneaking you ham and cheese? I don't know. (laughs) He probably yelled her. (laughs) Right. So in that. And so the, the tricky thing here is that I'm asking you how you felt. But I think it was so normalized to be anxious and let's not even talk. Let's separate the emotion from it for a second. It was such a normal part of your thought process to anticipate danger. And to be in danger. What do you think about that? It's just like, it's just how the household worked, right? It's like, now I'm home. Dad can't see me playing ping pong. Gotta, gotta be not anxious. I gotta anticipate that danger. Dad can't see me sit on my bed. Oh crap. I threw my book on my bed. I better clean it up before dad sees the impression of the weight of the book on my bed. 
If I eat too fast, I'm going to puke. If I eat too slow, I'm not going to get to eat. So there's like danger anticipation, like everywhere you look in the household. Possibly created like a lot of my overthinking potentially. Like I wouldn't say that I had like anxious thoughts back then, but it's maybe uh, helped like form the way that I think today. And if that makes sense. Absolutely. I think it makes a lot of sense. I think the way that you think today is a survival adaptation from how you grew up. What do you think about that? It's very possible. Yeah. Right. So like your anxiety isn't an enemy. It's just like when I'm, you know, so this is how our mind works. It's kind of like cement. So like the early changes in our mind solidify later in time. It's like why if you think about like learning how to walk. Do you know how to walk? I think so. Yeah. How solidly do you know how to walk? Some people say not very well since I walk <laughs> on my toes, but <laughs> I get, I get from A to B. Yeah. Right. So, so when we think about it, like so much fundamental programming is laid down, like our capacity for language, our capacity to understand what, what are you doing with your face right now? What is that? What do we call I that? Just, I think I'm just smiling. Yeah. But what is that? How did you, how did you learn how to do that? I think it's just programmed. Yeah, right. It's so baked in. And so what I'm noticing is that early on, because here's the thing. Those are just the things that you remember. And it sounds like Mm. your dad has gotten better over time. (laughs) Yeah, he's all right now. Right. So like, I don't even know like what he did when you, you know, pooped your pants when you were one. Honestly, he comes over and he sees my kids and like, I'm convinced he didn't have kids because this guy is, you know, like I love my dad, but he doesn't know how to talk to him. He doesn't know how to hold him. He doesn't know how to like, it's just like, Hey, you guys are my grandkids. You're awesome. It's like, you know? Yeah. So, so then it it looks like he has no idea what's going on. I'm going to assume that my mom took care of everything. So Chuck, I'm going to ask you a question. What would it be like? You have a son. I have two sons actually. Oh, oh. so you have two sons. What Mm -hmm. would it be like? for them if they never interacted with their dad or their dad never took care of them? I think they would be pretty sad. I'm, I'm pretty awesome. Certainly. They love dad. I, I don't, I don't think they would be sad because they wouldn't know. Oh, right. Well, I feel but like you, would, now you're throwing shade at me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no, but I'm saying, I'm, I'm saying like, like, so, so this is, I think for you, there were a lot of things that I think you missed out on that you don't even realize you missed out on because, but you certainly missed out. Like it would be, They wouldn't be sad. It would be sad for them. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. And like, um, like I said, my, my wife's dad comes here a lot. Um, and we talk about stories of like what they did with as like kids and what he did for them. And I'm like, they'd be like, yeah, you never did this. And I'm like, no, you know, so definitely I'm very aware, you know, the childhood I had. Right. And it's kind of weird because it's not even like you, you sort of know intellectually you missed out, but like you didn't miss out kind of emotionally because it was just normal for you. But I am noticing that there's, a, you know, there's a lot of evidence that your mind learned how to anticipate danger and that you were kind of like a home base, your place of safety required a lot of vigilance. So here's another term that I'm going to toss out, which I think describes your anxiety very well. Hypervigilance. What do I've you think? I've heard that one before. So um, vigilance means, you know, to be watchful. And mm-hmm. hyper is to be like constantly watchful, constantly mm-hmm. on guard. 
Um, Do you think that describes what happens in your mind? Uh, possibly, possibly. I still kind of feel like, I mean, I guess I'm constantly on guard of like my own emotions per se, like, you know, not necessarily like my environment and stuff. Like I'm generally pretty easygoing. Like I would say like my wife is like Mm -hmm. way more like, you know, what's going on around me, you know, what's this, what's that. I'm just constantly on guard. Like, okay, I don't want to have a panic attack right now. Like, you know, yep. that's like, so I'm noticing that the guard is internal instead of external. Like you're yes. manning the walls of your own mind to make sure mm-hmm. that the bucking Bronco doesn't get in. Yeah. That, you know? That, mm-hmm. um, how did it feel to talk about your upbringing? Honestly, it doesn't, it doesn't really bother me too much. Like that wasn't the thing that I was actually too nervous about because I, I've talked about it before. Like, you know, even uh-huh. on stream, maybe not too often, you know, I've talked about it. Like my friends obviously you know, knew me and kind of knew my dad was a little crazy and my wife and everything. I actually just think it's funny at this point, you know? Okay. Okay. Um, so I would, I would say things didn't necessarily get better, but they also didn't get worse, you know? Okay. Okay. So it sounds like, and, and what's your understanding of why you're smiling right now? Cause I, I just think it's funny. Like, <laughs> okay. you know, okay. this is, yeah, I guess you either laugh or cry and, uh, yep. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I've told these stories a thousand times, like at this point, like I have, I really do just think they're kind of funny. Have you cried about them? Maybe. I, I, if, if I did, I couldn't remember. Okay. I, I doubt I did, but yeah. And, and so it sounds like you were very nervous about sharing something else. Can you help us understand what that is? We don't necessarily have to share it. I'm just curious what we're no, nervous I'm, about. I, I'm, I'm okay to share it. Um, but like the way I like experienced my first panic attack and stuff, like, it's just, it, it's scary. It, it's, you know, I, I remember it so, so vividly and, uh, you know, exactly what was going on in my brain. And just like, it, it was just a lot, it was just a lot. And I think like, that's like my, my fear to like get back to that place, I guess. Are you afraid that if we talk about it, you'll let the bucking Bronco back into your mind? Not necessarily. Cause I feel like, um, I, I have talked about it before, um, but I was like definitely in a better mind state. And if that makes sense, like, so this is, this is the series of events that happened. Like my sister growing up, like kind of, I think she dealt with our, our childhood differently. Like she kind of like, you know, did smoke and did drink at a younger age, stuff like that. And I saw that and I didn't really like want to be a part of that. And, um, you know, like my friends smoked and stuff. And I, I just didn't care. Like my friends would drink. I didn't want to, my friends would smoke and I didn't want to. And, um, one day one of my friends convinced me to smoke and we smoked and it was chill. And then he convinced me again. And I had like that really terrible experience, which I can get to into into more detail. And, you know, I just kind of chalked it up as like, wow, like that was bad. They're like, yeah, you know, you had a, you had a tough time, you know, it's whatever, but it didn't really affect me. You know what I mean? It didn't affect me. And then I tried smoking again. It was fine. And I tried smoking again. And then that's when, that's when the problems occurred. It was the fourth time. And I remember, what happened was like, I, I started experiencing like what I experienced the first time and I was in someone's house and I went outside and I sat there in the freezing cold, shivering, like, you know, for like an hour, like, and it didn't take control of me like it did the first time, but like it kept feeling like it was. And, but I remember during that time having the thought process, what is this, what if this never goes away? And as soon as that thought went into my mind, I've had to deal with it forever. And I remember like, you know, the next few days going out, like, like just being in random people's car, things that I never would have thought about before. Like, what if I have a panic attack right now, you know? And then, um, 
for like a week, it went away like completely. And I mean, like not even, a, it wasn't even a thought in my mind. And I remember, you know, I don't, I don't know what caused it, but I just remember that morning. Like I would, I was over at my friend's house. We stayed up all morning. We were playing basketball in the morning. And later that night we went to a movie theater and someone in the movie theater came up to me. They're like, you're Sidhu. And I lost it, completely lost it. Like I, I felt all those feelings coming back. I don't know if I was in shock or what. And I, I, I ran out of the movie theater and I was crying. And I had to get my sister to pick me up. And, you know, ever since then, like it was always a thought in my mind, like almost, I would say almost every single day, like there was a thought in my mind that I might have a panic attack, like since that, that day. What, what, when you said the feelings came up, what, what does that mean? How do I explain it? It feels like, it almost feels like I'm like, I'm like looking at things through my mind, not my eyes. Like I, I, I'm experiencing things around me. Like it just, it feels like everything stops and I could explain to you like what happens, like what happened in my first panic attack. But, um, when I feel like I'm having a panic attack, it feels like everything stops. Like, and in my original panic attack, I froze like, and I felt like, you know, it wasn't reality. But so I, I remember very specifically my first panic attack. I was eating bacon cheddar cheese fries. They were one of my favorite meals. And I remember swallowing one and my mind envisioned it going down my throat. Like I, I could see it today. Like, you know, what I mean, things that don't even make sense. And I remember sitting up and I said, oh, my God, I'm going to die. And my friend, my friend immediately like reacted to that like what 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 don't say that don't say that like and that scared me even more and I, I remember like freaking out saying like oh my god I'm gonna die I'm gonna die and I had bunk beds and I started punching my bunk beds as hard as I could because I, I didn't feel like you know I wanted to feel something and then I remember like literally like standing up like hovered over like this and I don't know why but this was my thought process I was I was on trial for life and death and I, I remember being on a stage and having a full audience around me and I had to plea my case why I shouldn't die today. And I was literally pleading like, you know what, like there's this school, girl I really like in school. Like I never talked to her. I swear I'm going to talk to her. Like, and I was trying to beg to not die. Like that was my, that was my first panic attack. And, you know, I just, I can still like remember everything around me and like. Clearly. Um, yeah. It was, it was pretty bad. It was pretty bad. And then, um, you know, eventually I kind of like snapped out of it, I would say. And I like took a cold shower and I remember like some of the feelings coming back on in the shower where like, you know, it felt like I was kind of like getting like sucked in again almost. And then I would just be like, Nope, I'm fine. Like you're going to be good. But uh, that was my first panic attack. And it was, uh, that's what I'm afraid of, I guess, is like losing full control to where like, I felt like I couldn't move. Like it, like, I swear it felt like I was stoned. Like I couldn't move. Like I was just stuck in place. Have you talked to the person who prescribes your medication about this? No, I don't know if I necessarily like that guy. <clears throat> I told him like my anxiety is about anxiety. And he's like, no, it's not. And I'm like, okay, you just don't really want to listen. You just want to prescribe medicine. Like, wait, when he said your anxiety is about anxiety and he said, no, it's not. Yeah, it didn't. Yeah. Not, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not. I don't really think he's like the person for me to talk to. Okay. You know I mean, okay. I think he just prescribes medicine and you know, he's like, no, no, it's not like there's, there's, there's a different route. And I'm like, you know, I think about this stuff a lot and I kind of feel like I know what the route is, but what's the route? Know, I kind of feel like that was the route right there. I feel like yeah, that was you're like, damn right. It is. 
Yeah. I feel like that was the day that like, you know, like I always tell myself, I wish I never smoked weed and, you know, but I feel like eventually I would have dealt with this problem anyway, because it's, it's happened before without smoking, you know, not, not to that extent, but can I think for a second? Yeah. Take your time. So, um, uh, Chuck, I want to just acknowledge something for a second. So I think that like what I'm about to say is it's still sort of for educational purposes, but it's going to use a lot of diagnostic language. And I would really hesitate to say this for a couple of reasons. The main reason that I'm, I'm going to offer to share something in a moment is because you do have a provider. And I think that ultimately our goal here on stream is to try to like help you. Right. So I, I want to share sort of a different perspective based on some of the attributes that you're sharing, which I definitely think you should follow up with a medical professional think about it and follow up with a medical professional. Um, and, and cause I, you know, we don't really diagnose or treat things on stream, but I feel like I have an ethical responsibility to share with you another perspective for looking at your anxiety. Um, is that okay? Yeah. So what you're describing to me, because you were smoking marijuana, so like sometimes when people say, so now we're going to go real general, okay? And I want you to just kind of think about this and figure out whether this is, you know, applies to you or not. You know, in a different scenario, if you were actually my patient, I would tunnel down into this more. And I think it's a useful thing for you to tunnel down with a provider. Unfortunately, I can't do that with you. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, I feel like I would be honestly doing you an ethical disservice if I at least didn't float this idea and give you the opportunity to talk to a licensed professional about it. Is that okay? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So when we smoke marijuana, marijuana actually has two kind of components. One is sort of a pro psychotic component and one is an anti psychotic component. And there's a, there's a version of marijuana called K2, which is synthetic marijuana. And the the problem with synthetic marijuana is that normal marijuana has like THC and CBD and has a bunch of other compounds. But basically, depending on the blend of THC and CBD, it has a certain propensity to like, because, you know, like pot makes people paranoid, right? Mm -hmm. So some of that paranoia is kind of like more in line with psychosis. And, and so it, when people use synthetic K2, the problem with K2, it like makes people like really freaking psychotic and they get, you know, brought to the ER, really steer clear of K2 and in general marijuana as well. Um, but what I'm really hearing from you doesn't sound like a panic attack. It sounds like sort of like more like a bad trip. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. And so sometimes what happens with people who have bad trips is not that they have anxiety. So we call it anxiety. But what I'm almost hearing is like a traumatic experience from a bad trip. And really what I'm hearing sounds to me like I think you need a far more thorough kind of diagnostic with someone who listens. So like what we're dealing with may be an anxiety disorder, not really our place to determine here, but could also be PTSD from a bad trip. And this is where sometimes from a treatment perspective, it's really important to have a clinician who listens to you because the treatments are actually quite different. 
Mm. And and I don't know that you're ever like like approaching it as an anxiety disorder and approaching it as PTSD from a bad trip are going to like help you approach it in different ways and may actually help you. And if you're not getting better, and this is also just general principles now, okay? So if you're working with a psychiatric provider and you're not getting better to your satisfaction, I strongly encourage everyone out there to bring up your dissatisfaction with the psychiatric provider. Because a lot of times this is, you know, not really specific to you really at this point, but a lot of times like, you know, as a psychiatric provider, I ask you, how's the medication working? And most people are like, it's working some. You know, it's not perfect, but it seems to be doing a good job. And then as a clinician, I don't know if that's just like your anxiety is so severe and we're kind of like, okay with this, or if what I should do as a clinician is sit down and rethink your diagnosis. That may be a different kind of like, why are we wiping on the raid? You know, is it like, is it that, you know, we're, we're hitting the DPS or are we messing up at the DPS race? Or is it that our comp is messed up? Or like, there are all kinds of differential diagnoses for why the raid is not succeeding. Mm. And sometimes the, that involves like just further anxiety treatment. But if we start to treat your anxiety, double down on anxiety treatment, when what you really have is PTSD related to like, a, like a psychotic hallucinatory experience, those are different things. And they can both look like anxiety, but this is where, you know, out of everyone that I've ever talked to on stream, I would encourage you the most to go and really get like reevaluated or have a really good in-depth conversation with a licensed mental health professional about your situation. And I would share this stuff with them because in a sense, it's not their fault. It, you know, you can't hold them accountable if you're not sharing information. So I would really go and share this experience and then kind of like, you know, find someone that you like and you trust and then really kind of get a good like thorough diagnostic evaluation, which sometimes can take hours. So it can happen over the course of weeks and things like that. But what I'm hearing right now just really makes me concerned that, you know, what we're talking about is like, you know, this intense moment where you were like in this courtroom like that's like divorce from reality, right? Like that wasn't actually happening. And this is what's kind of interesting is when people have like hallucinations and stuff when they use substances, it feels real. And the impact on your brain, even if it's not real, your brain experiences it. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Definitely, yeah. And so the effects on your neurochemistry in the way that your brain wires are as if it's real. And this also gets into a whole other thing about like, what is the nature of reality and dreams and all this kind of crap? We had a good conversation with Ludwig about it, that if you want to go back and watch, like it may give you some insight into this. But at this point, I just want to check in with you. What do you think about what we're talking about, Chuck? In regards to what? Like, just like this conversation. Like, how do you feel uh, about where, where we are? I mean, I guess I feel okay. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I... I feel like any type of way about it. Um, I would say like I was definitely a little nervous to share like what I went through. I'm not really sure why, but, um, cool. you know, it didn't it didn't really like, you know, because I, I thought I've been thinking about this for like the whole week. Like, you know, is he going to ask me like how I experienced my first panic attack and stuff like that? And then, you know, my brain kind of goes down the road of like, you know, thinking about it. I'm like, oh, crap, I don't really want to think about this, you know, but um, I don't know. And I definitely. um I definitely kind of agree with you. I, I do think to a, a certain extent, I do have anxiety 
because um, I just kind of do feel like I deal with every everyday stress and stuff. And I do think the medication is helping me. Um, but in the same sense, I do think that like, I do have that like trauma of like, that's not where I want to get back to. Like that's, yeah. that scares the living crap out of me. Yeah. So, so just so you understand, like, you know, this hypervigilance that I referenced earlier is really a feature of PTSD. Mm -hmm. So like what happens if you think about a traumatic event, like, you know, if I've been sexually assaulted in a parking lot, like I'm going to steer, like, I never want to be in a parking lot at night again. Like right. I will come hell or high water. I will avoid that situation at all costs. And what yeah. I'm really like, so early on when I mentioned agoraphobia to you, remember like agoraphobia is about avoidance. Mm -hmm. It's all about avoidance. And mm -hmm. what I'm hearing when we talk about the bucking bronco and ignoring your thoughts, it's about avoidance, avoidance, avoidance. So could mm -hmm. this be an anxiety disorder? Absolutely. Could this be uh, uh, like, you know, hallucinatory, like a marijuana induced PTSD? Absolutely. And that's something mm -hmm. where I think really like you deserve to have someone, a licensed mental health professional sit down with you and really talk through that. Mm -hmm. um, do you, what was it like to actually share that experience? It was all right. I mean, I've shared it before to people uh, who are close to me. Obviously, like, you know, I was with my friend at the time, you know, during it. Um, but I mean, yeah, well, I guess it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Like, I feel like I'm kind of relaxed right now for the most part. What do you mean by relaxed? Do you mean your baseline level of anxiety or do you mean relaxed? I guess in these days, it's kind of hard to tell a difference because I kind of so, feel like it's always there. Yeah, I understand that. So, like, I want to just point something out to you. You've never used the word relaxed today. Mm hmm. So, like, I think that that's the right word. I think you actually mm -hmm. are somewhat relaxed. And the reason that I think you should see a therapist is because this is how therapy works. Right. Right. So, like, when you share the thoughts that you have inside, you know, remember how we talked about, and, and this isn't not, there are many ways to do this, but I want to just explain this principle of the mind, which is, remember, we were talking about when you add energy to the mind, the anxiety gets worse. Mm -hmm. So, one of the ways that we can vent energy from the mind is through things like therapy. But essentially what you're doing is letting that excess energy out. So like there are thoughts, and I, I don't know if this makes sense. This is really more like a yogic perspective. So you can journal, for example, or you could do therapy, or you could share it with a friend. The point is that you want to vent because right now what happens when you have thoughts is they just bounce around in your head and they have nowhere to go. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so what you need to do, it doesn't matter whether it's actually therapy or not, but like you just need some way to vent the energy in the mind. Mm. And as you vent the energy in the mind, whether through journaling, through therapy, through talking through a friend, doesn't you can talk to your dog if you want to. Like, it doesn't really matter. Like, it's not about who's on the other end. It's about venting it from your mind. And then you're going to feel more relaxed mm. because it's no longer bouncing around. Now, the reason to do therapy is because the person on the other end of the table, unlike a dog, is going to be trained at helping you vent. Right? Yeah. What, do you, what, what are you thinking now? You started smiling. Uh, my dogs are definitely not trained in anything, so <laughs> they definitely, they're definitely not going to be helping me out with anything. Yeah. Uh, how many dogs do you have? I have four. Okay. Wow, that's a lot, man. It's a lot of dogs, yep. Four yeah, dogs, do you, two kids, two cats. 
Oh, and cats. Wow. So that's busy. It is very busy. <laughs> <laughs> and married to boot. What's up? I said and married on top of that. Yes, sir. Yep, yep. Yeah, wow. Wow, sounds like you have quite a full life, Chuck. I do, and I actually like it quite a bit, you know. I, I really do like my life. I'm I'm very, you know, lucky to be able to do what I do and, you know, uh, afford to even have, you know, this many things relying on me. Um, but yeah, it's just, uh, this is, this is, I guess the one, the one little area in which I, I struggle with. And yeah. Can, can we talk about when your wife was pregnant? Sure. So what, I, what happened then? I mean, it's hard for me to say, I guess like maybe I'm not like the greatest at like, um, I'm not the greatest at, uh, I guess picking up on my emotions, but I definitely just, I started to notice like those feelings like of anxiety, like hitting me like randomly, like, you know, and almost like it was like building up. Like I, like I, I was playing in like hockey leagues and I just remember like playing hockey and be like, feeling kind of anxious right now. Like this is abnormal. Like, you know, like, you know, it wasn't just like the thoughts, like, Oh, I don't want to have, like I, I was kind of feeling it like almost like a panic attack was coming on. And like I said, I'm pretty good at like deterring those now just because like as afraid as I am of them happening, I'm also like fully aware of like when they're happening. And I, and I like, you know, understand like, you know, the more you feed in, the worse it's going to be. You just got to take deep breaths and just, you know, do what you got to do. Um, and I just, it's almost like, it's almost like weird how it happened, but, um, you know, I don't know. I also don't talk about this very often, but I, I'm religious and I go to church and stuff. And I was just sitting in church one day, um, you know, with my wife and my my dad and his wife, his new wife. And it just hit me and I didn't have a panic attack. It didn't hit me like that. It just hit me like a wrecking ball of nervousness where I'm just like, you know, I, I couldn't stop shaking. and I couldn't stop thinking. And it's like it, it was like a completely different experience of what I experienced as my panic attack. Does that make sense? Yeah. But, so tell, tell me what, what was your experience of being hit? What did you get hit by? It just, it just felt like constant overthinking, constant nervousness. Like I, I couldn't even tell you what I was thinking at the time, but like, that was like the, the day that I kind of felt like, you know, broke the, broke the camel's back or, you know, the straw that broke the back. And I just remember going home that night and just being like unbelievably nervous and I couldn't stop overthinking. And, um, um, you know, I, I have taken like, you know, small dosages of Xanax before because, you know, I've had like this issue for a long time. It's been prescribed. I, I really don't take it almost ever, like literally almost ever. And I had like, you know, half of like a small dose of one just kind of calm me down a little bit. And, um, I just kind of thought like, um, I guess just like random stuff like this, is this is completely like maybe irrelevant, but like one of the thoughts in my mind was like, the lead singer of Lincoln park or maybe not the lead singer, but he like recently committed suicide. And I'm like, is this why is it, is this what he was dealing with? Like that, that thought has crossed my mind before too, where it's like, is this what people, you know, decide to say like, they can't take it anymore. And like that obviously really scared me. And um, yeah, it's just, you know, that day it never like really got better. Like that was the day where for months I couldn't, live my life like literally every single day i would wake up 
first thing on my mind, I would, I, I sleep like a rock. So I would go to sleep and I would wake up shaking. And the first thing on my mind is like, okay, I'm anxious. Okay. Like I'm going to have panic attack today. Like even, even like, even today, like the first thing, when I open my mind, the first word on my, in my, my, my head is anxiety every single day. Like, and it wasn't always like that. You know, sometimes I could wake up and I wouldn't think about it for a few hours, but it is literally the default thought process in my brain right now is just that word like anxiety. You sound, Am I you anxious? sound angry. It sucks. I, I just don't like it. You know, it bothers me. I don't want it to be there. You know, I wake up in the morning with my kids or my dogs or whatever reason. It's the first thing I think about, you know, it's what I got to think about before I go to sleep. And, you know, it's like, I just don't like most of the time, I will say it's definitely better as of recently. I don't have what I want to call it my peace of mind. I don't have my mind just resting, thinking about useless stuff. You know, it's just, it's just always lasered in on this subject. Most of the time, sometimes I do. And sometimes I'll literally like get a break and I'll be like, wow, I was thinking about random stuff. Well, now that I'm thinking about this, now it's time to think about anxiety. Like it literally like circles back. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, wow, I had a break. I can't believe I had a break. Now I'm not going to have a break because I'm overthinking it. Like, Uh, Chuck, is there a part of you that's afraid that like something fundamentally broke that day and will never be fixed? Maybe essentially, like I do think like, you know, maybe I'll never have like what was my normal. Um, I think like maybe that's kind of like why sometimes I I'm actually afraid to get help because what if it doesn't help? You know, what if all this stuff that is supposed to help me doesn't help? So what I'm hearing is that, you know, if you get help, if you as long as you're not getting help, you're delaying final doom. Potentially, yeah. Um, you know, it's a good like, reason to avoid help. Yeah. I just. Yeah, I'm just stuck in a loophole. It feels like that just doesn't end. I'm sorry, bro. Yeah, um, I appreciate it. Can I offer a couple of thoughts? Absolutely. So I don't think you are broken. I think what you have can be fixed. Um, I think that the mind has an amazing reparative quality. Mm -hmm. Um, The body has an amazing reparative quality. I think that um, somehow what what you're doing is you're doing like endgame content at level 52. That's Mm -hmm. what it feels like to me. I actually feel like you're doing remarkably well, given how much you've handicapped yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's really amazing that you've, uh, you know, managed to continue to build a life and not let what sounds like truly crippling levels of anxiety. And, and by crippling, what I mean is like, not that they're crippling in their intensity, but they're like, it, it, you, you sound to me like a dude who's been, you know, Rating for the last three years in one encounter. Mm-hmm. Like you've just been like, it's a marathon, man. Like I'm hearing a marathon of just never ending. And like somehow, you know, you're still like you haven't wiped yet. And, mm-hmm. and, and it's, it's kind of like what I'm hearing from you in terms of, you, you know, getting treatment is that there's a lot of like resistance. Mm-hmm. And that resistance comes from, first of all, the fear that like, what if this doesn't help? Because then you're like truly SOL. Like, like it's it's kind of interesting. But sometimes the reason that we don't shoot our shot is because if we fail, then we've got nothing. 
you know, I see this oddly enough in the weirdest places like people who like have a crush. And like, as long as I don't get rejected, there's always the chance that something will happen. But if I shoot my shot and they say no, it's like, then I'm truly finished. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so I sort of get where you're coming from because I, I think that there is that too is like, by the way, a product of your mind. It's not like, it's not like, you know, you're incorrect. Mm-hmm. I imagine that there have been experiences in your life where you've like, put yourself out there like and and this could be like really small kind of insignificant things but like where you told your dad dad i'm hungry and he's like no way you're getting food (laughs) didn't it didn't exactly happen like that but yeah right and so like your mind learned early on that like and then maybe even like your mom would have said oh well like now that you asked your dad i can't sneak it for you but in limbo there's like there's some kind of you know in limbo we can actually benefit um, so, so I, I sort of get that you're kind of feeling like fatalistic about it. Um, I, I think that a lot of your fears are also kind of coming in there where like, there's this, like, you know, this mentioned this thing about Lincoln park and it's sort of like, if I try to get help and it doesn't work, what I see you kind of being afraid of is then you wind up where that guy was. I'm very afraid of that. Yeah. Right. So, so this is where like, you know. I can understand that you're afraid of it, but that's actually what gives me hope because that crap we can deal with. Like, you know, deal like, like Chuck, the reason I'm hopeful for you is because I think you actually haven't, you're, I mean, there you are in a level 60 raid being level 52 and you're like, I don't know if I can win. And what I see is like, but bro, you can level, you can gain eight levels. There's still a lot of things that you can try. It sounds like you haven't tried psychotherapy you know, it sounds like maybe a reformulation of your diagnosis. It sounds like like continuing to learn like different kinds of breathing practices, learning meditation, doing some of this exploratory work, potentially journaling or other things. There's a lot of stuff that you can still do. Mm-hmm. So oddly enough, even though you feel like a little bit hopeless or really what I'm getting from you is that you don't want to roll the dice and wind up hopeless. Yeah. Um, but what I'm really seeing is that there's like, you're kind of like, I'm opening up your character and like, I'm seeing that you you have a sword and a shield equipped, but you don't, you don't even have a helmet on and like, you don't even have boots on. And it's like, there's a lot you can do. Cause then, then what it's almost like you're going into a raid and you're like, okay, I can wipe. And at least I have an excuse for wiping. Cause I don't even have the right gear. But if I gear up properly and then I wipe, well then like, then I can't clear it right like i have nothing nothing left no mm-hmm. excuses does that make sense or is that just is Absolutely my analogy not. just getting worse and worse and worse no, i understand i understand so, so so those are the things that actually make me really hopeful for you that i think if you like you know if you put on if you fill up every gear slot don't even worry about like enchanting and putting in gems and crap like that because you have all that too i mean we're talking about basics we're not even talking about I mean, there are some people who will come in and will have like five years of therapy under their belt. And I'm still hopeful because they haven't tried this other kind of therapy. And so there's a lot of like enchanting and like, you know, gem kind of work and like other kinds of set bonuses. Like we haven't even gotten there. We're talking about the basics. We're talking about finding a therapist and like talking to them about something like that. How do you feel about that now? Any I movement? guess I, 
I guess I can try and find a therapist. Like I said, you know, I kind of for a while felt like if I went to a therapist, it could just like, I I don't know. I It's something I didn't necessarily want to do. I guess like my my thought process was like, you know, does this make me crazy? Like, or something like that. Yeah. I mean, how do you feel about that? I mean, I definitely can see uh, positive benefits of talking about it in general. You know what I mean? Like, and just, I'll tell you right now, like generally speaking, Twitch chat is not all these, you know, in some sections, it's not the place to be vulnerable. And like (laughs) me, me like having that experience on stream and like getting like such a positive uh, benefit out of it when I was like my most vulnerable, like, you know, it definitely means that talking about it has got to be good because it made things better, you know? So, yeah. So Chuck, I, I think, first of all, I, I think that we all do this where I, I think we aren't entirely fair to Twitch chat because I find that Twitch chat is almost like a kid where like the, the standard that you hold them up to is the standard that they're going to live up to. Fair enough. And and so sometimes, you know, parents will come to me with problematic kids. So like I once had this kid who was, you know, having a lot of behavioral problems and my treatment for him was to hook him up. He was a high school kid to set him up with an internship at Harvard Medical School. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this kid's problem is that like people are not treating they're treating him too lowly. And that's what I found with with Twitch chat is when you when you act like Twitch chat is a bunch of degenerate noobs, they'll live up to your expectations. And when you act like Twitch chat can save the world, they won't let you down. Whatever your expectations are, Twitch chat will arise to meet them. I, I want to just talk about one thing that you said that if you see a therapist, it kind of makes you crazy. So this is going to sound kind of weird. That was like my thought process in a sense. Yep. It's a completely reasonable thought process. So, so I don't think that people are crazy, like makes me crazy. So I Mm. definitely think that, you know, some of the experiences you're describing, I think like crazy sort of fits. Right. But like, I I think this is important to understand. I, I, I'm not trying to be judgmental, but I, I want you to understand that like the experiences that you had are quite drastic. And outside of the realm of normal experience. And at the same time, that doesn't say anything about you as a person. And and I'm sorry if this, you know, is offensive, but I, I want everyone to understand that our mind has crazy experiences. It's just what our mind does. And and I don't think you're crazy. You actually sound, Chuck, to me to be incredibly sane. And like I said, even some of these things, like if I ignore my anxiety and it'll go away, a lot of people will hear that and think that it's stupid. I think it's actually brilliant because I think it's what you have learned that actually works. And one of the biggest things that I try to explain to people is that the mind oftentimes doesn't malfunction. The mind functions the best way it knows how to. And when we stop, when we start, when we stop assuming that the mind is broken is when we truly get power over it. That's when we truly understand it, that everything that your mind does usually, or not everything, but a lot of what your mind does is for a reason. And the more that we understand, even your resistance to therapy is completely logical, right? There's a lot of stuff riding on that. Like, you know, you're kind of like, because your strategy is to ignore it and it'll go away. Going to therapy is like the opposite of your winning strategy. So of Mm -hmm. course you're going to be resistant to it. And it's not, it's not dumb to be resistant to therapy. It makes a lot of sense. 
But now this is where I would ask you, you know, how is your experience today talking about it been? It's been fine. Like, obviously, I was like a little nervous about being on here and stuff, but I, you know, I, I feel like uh, I benefited being on here today. And how? Uh, I knew I would. Well, number one, I feel like uh, I'm kind of like getting over fears of sharing. Um, and I feel like that was something that I, I definitely didn't do, especially with strangers. Um, number two, you know, you kind of are uh, making me feel like a little less bad about myself saying like some of the strategies and stuff that, you know, I've been doing is okay. And like, I'm having like normal thought processes and stuff like that. So um, I don't know. It's just like reassuring, I guess. Yeah. Why are you smiling now? I guess I like to be right. <laughs> I answered your question right. I I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're you're the one who tell. I asked you how. It's it's your answer. <laughs> you know, I, don't, I don't have the right answer. You have the right answer, Chuck. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I think you've done a really good job today. I think it's you know I do not envy you. I think you you come across as an incredibly I think you're incredibly strong, Chuck. Like when I hear about the fullness of your life, like I understand that you're grateful and stuff, which is all awesome, but it doesn't sound easy, bro. It's not. You know, to wake up with anxiety every day, it just doesn't sound easy. It takes and, its toll for sure. Yeah, man. And so what I'm really hoping, I, I think you you don't need to i mean i i don't think you deserve to be fight you know running that marathon and in this epic never-ending struggle against anxiety and my hope is that some of these like really simple principles like um you know venting some of that energy from your mind because you know when you say that you wake up and anxiety is the first thing there it's because it's like a gas that's trapped you've like farted into a bottle and you've closed the stopper and so, like, in that bottle is methane and it smells bad. And what you've really got to do is just pop that cork and let that bad boy rip, you know. And and so, th there's a lot of negativity in there. There's a lot of fear in there. I understand that you carry it every day with, like, you carry it, right? That's the best word that I have. I think it's an encumbrance problem more than anything else. And And so, I really hope that you can... You know, I'd strongly ask you to consider, you know, really seeing a therapist. I definitely will look into it for sure. I guess yeah. um, I just got to try and find someone with good reviews because I don't, you know, I don't want to get someone that isn't right for me, I suppose. Sure. So I, I think that good reviews go a long way, but fit goes a long way too. So a couple of rules of thumb. And, you know, if you need a little bit of support, I think we've got like a, you know, a quick guide or something we can send your way about finding a good therapist. Um, we do have a creator coaching program, which normally at this point in the interview, I would recommend to some people. I think you should actually see a therapist, though. You're welcome okay. to sign up for our coaching program. Like they work with things like, you know, they're more specialized in things like burnout and imposter syndrome and, and those kinds of things. So they work mm -hmm. with we have a contract with Twitch. So Twitch is actually sponsoring it. Um, but I think in your case, I would I would go see a therapist. I think okay. it's really um, and you could try out coaching if you want to. But but I, I really think that you know, mental health treatment is appropriate for you. Um, does that sound judgmental to you? No. Okay. Do you have any questions for me? How long? No. Uh, I, no. I sort of feel like we're at a decent stopping point, but at the same time, you know, there are a lot of other things that we could talk about. Like I'm still, you know, I think another thing that 
is worth digging into is the sort of whatever happened subconsciously when your wife became pregnant mm-hmm. and, and you know, how that, I think that may be a conversation for another day. Um, cause I don't know how short that's going to be, but I sort of feel like this is a decent stopping point cause I've shared a lot with you and I'd love it if you could kind of digest that. And I don't want to, how can I say this? Sometimes I reach a point in a conversation where I, I feel if we keep talking, we may start to overwrite what we've covered so far. And my real desire to potentially pause is because I don't think that anything we're going to talk about now will outweigh the value of what we've talked about already. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Does that sound okay to you? Yeah, absolutely. Do you have any questions? I I don't. I'm not, I'm not a question guy, really. I just kind of. Okay. Yeah. I'm intrigued. (laughs) But what, what what does that mean to not be a question guy? But so be it. I'll just let that curiosity ride. But go ahead. What is it? I just I uh, I just generally people always ask when you're done. Do you have any questions? And I always I'm the one that looks at my wife like, okay. do you have any questions? Because I'm good to go. Okay. Okay. So and then um, are you interested in learning meditation? Um, possibly, I suppose. Um, I didn't really like. So honestly, I had like this fear of kind of like being alone with my thoughts. Um, but like since I do the deep breathing, like I kind of close my eyes and it, it's going to sound like the craziest thing ever. But when I do my deep breathing, I would say maybe just briefly for a second, if that there's no negativity, there's no anxiety. You know what I mean? Like it's just completely it's like all these like random thoughts that make absolutely no sense just kind of like pop into my brain. Like, like it, it was my normal, you know what I mean? And, um, I would say that I was like really afraid of that for a long time. And then doing that for the first night, I was like, Holy crap. Like, I guess this works, you know? So I guess, uh, I guess I could be interested in learning meditation, but like I was, that was something that I would have been opposed to for a long time until I started trying that breathing technique. Okay. So, a couple of other reassuring points. So there's something cool about meditation. So when you do your deep breathing, you're back to normal. And when you stop doing your deep breathing, normal ends, right? Maybe for the most part. Yeah. But it's like, it's just kind of like me being weird. Like, did that help? Like, you know, is this going to help? Like, so this is what studies on meditation show that generally speaking, when we meditate, it creates temporary changes to our mind. Mm-hmm. And the longer that we meditate, if you meditate for at least 20 minutes a day, three days a week, that's the bare minimum. The cool thing about meditation is that the longer you meditate and the better you get at it, the more, the longer the buff lasts. So it's sort of like when you start meditating, the buff lasts simply for the duration of the channeling. So I'm going to okay. channel meditation and that's when I'm going to regain mana, right? It's like, what's that mage spell that... Evocation. Yeah. So like for evocation, I only gain mana as long as I'm channeling. But something really magical happens with meditation, which is that it reaches a point where it starts to rewire your brain and you actually like have a mana tick post channeling. And this idea of like long term meditators who throughout their entire day, they're happier and their anxiety is lower on a baseline level. And that's because like as we literally rewire our brain, 
They're your neurons. So thoughts are generated by neurons. And so as you train your brain to have senseless thoughts instead of anxious thoughts, those patterns of neurons will start to like wire together and then they'll activate and then you'll be back to your normal thinking. Um, I, I have worked with people and taught them so people who have had anxiety disorders, like diagnosed anxiety disorders on medication for a decade. And after about a year or two of medication, they will be in what we call in psychiatry sustained remission because we don't use the word cure because who knows. So what sustained remission is, is like people who don't have anxiety and are off of medication. It, you know, I'm thinking about a particular person it took like two years, but, you know, I think that it, that is possible. Um, so now I've got two options for you. One is that I've got a technique that is a little bit of a high risk, high reward technique. So what I mean by that is that it's it's a technique that's really going to work on a physiologic level. And so when you have anxiety and like kind of panic stuff, I want you to understand that, you know how it like hits you out of the blue, right? So the mm -hmm. mental process is not the start. The start is actually physiology. So you have a physiologic change, which then triggers particular thoughts. Does that make sense? Um, yes. Okay. So there's a particular technique that I think will work on your physiology, but may actually, oddly enough, induce a little bit of anxiety if we do it now, if you're calm. But the idea behind this technique is that we're going to create anxiety and then teach you how to get out of it. Mm -hmm. And so if you're already anxious, it won't make it worse, but you'll kind of practice it getting out of it. That's sort of what I, what I feel like teaching you today, but I just want to be a little bit cautious um, and then I have a more sort of stable, normal technique, which is going to be like easy peasy, lemon squeezy. It's like, do you uh, want an elite mob or do you want a regular mob? Like, what do you want to grind on today? I feel like, would you judge me if I just say the regular one? Not at all. Okay. Because yeah. I, I feel like generally speaking, like, I feel like my anxiety is always kind of at a base level, you know, for the most part. And I feel like I do like a pretty decent job kind of like keeping myself calm and I guess like having that potentially be raised. Like, I don't know. That scares me a little bit. That's totally fine. That's so, so I, you know, the reason that I, I don't judge you at all. And the reason I give you the choice is because I acknowledge that that could be a concern. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's not like, Oh, like you're not going to go and they like, you, you're like, I don't want to wipe on the elite mob and then run back. You know, to the, it's just, I ain't nobody got time for that. I can get, Elite mob is worth 20% more XP, but like grinding on regular mobs is normally how you play WoW, right? So totally fine. Okay, so I'm going to teach you something called um, alternate nostril breathing. Okay. Tends to be my go-to technique, um, but is really good from a physiologic perspective as well, but won't make anything worse, okay? So can you do... So take your right hand, stick out your thumb, and then can you lift these two fingers? Good. So what I'm going to do, you have a deviated septum, by the way. I don't think so. Okay. So what I'm going to do and do it with me is block my right nostril, breathe in through my left. And then with a chest full of air, I'm going to block the other nostril with the other two fingers and then breathe out. Breathe in through the same nostril without switching. 
switch and breathe out. In. Switch. Out. In. Switch. Out. Good. Now close your eyes and go at your own pace. Remember that you want to switch on a full breath. Good. And then exhale and inhale again through the same nostril and then switch. We'll practice for about two minutes. Let your eyes remain closed. Go ahead and finish the breath that you're on. And relax. Just sit with yourself. If you want to continue deep breathing, you can. But we'll just sort of sit in silent meditation for about a minute.
And now I want you to breathe in for three seconds and out for three. And now in for three and out for five. And then in for three and out for seven. As you're ready to breathe in again, slowly open your eyes. supposed to say anything if you want to <laughs> wasn't sure if you're waiting on me yeah not really it's kind of awkward for people they don't really know what they're supposed to do i would definitely but, say this is a little bit you know i would say that this is probably not a very good public practice i feel like people probably watching the stream are probably like you know, okay, we'll just sit here and wait for him to finish his breathing, you know? Yeah. Well, ideally what happens is people are meditating with us. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. That makes sense. <laughs> that definitely, that definitely makes a lot more sense. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess I should have instructed people, but I, I hope I'm noticing now that you were anxious about that. No, not but, necessarily. I just thought it was kind of funny. Okay. Hmm. Um, yeah, what was that like for you, Chuck? It was good. I mean, um, you know, like I said, I, I, I enjoy my deep breathing quite a bit. I feel like it just kind of takes my my mind to a nice uh, rested place of relaxation. And I like it quite a bit. Like, I, I almost like, I don't want to say I look forward to it because maybe that sounds dreadful that like I look forward to, you know, my 15 minutes before bed um, and my 15 minutes of waking up. But uh, yeah, it's, it's it's just nice. Like, it's just it's nice to have that nice like relaxation before you sleep. And like when you wake up, although I must say like, I have a little bit of a different schedule where like um, my wife wakes up with the kids. So I wake up a little earlier to feed the dogs or else they go crazy. So I wake up and then I don't do my breathing. Then I feed them and I kind of chill for like 20 minutes while they're outside. Then I go back upstairs and then I go to sleep and then I wake up for real and then I do my breathing. So maybe there's like a little bit of a disconnect there. I'm not really sure. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it sounds bad at all. It sounds like you essentially you're meditating um, when you're mm -hmm. doing deep breathing. And yeah, and yeah, I, so. I don't think it sounds crazy at all to look forward to meditating. Um, mm -hmm. You know, just a couple things. So first thing is that do whatever practice works for you. Um, sometimes people find that. So this practice works a little bit more physiologically than just plain deep breathing. But the most important common element uh, Chuck, is the length of your exhalation correlates with the slowness of your mind. So okay. the longer you exhale, the slower your mind will be. Um, a question. So you were instructing three seconds of inhale uh, with longer exhales. Is that something that you would recommend for deep breathing too? Because generally I do like as big as I can and then let out as big as I can. And I definitely notice like when I let out, like I try and like fully deflate because I feel like that that always feels like really good. So, so, so uh, 
Not really. So what I'm telling you is the most important thing is the full deflation. Okay. So what I, uh, the reason to, yeah. So like that last bit is really about coming out of the meditative state and kind of like re-anchoring us into the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but the length of the exhalation is the most important thing. So the reason that this meditative, the one nostril breathing practice is that it just slows your breathing down because you're using half your nostrils mm. to let the air in and let the air out. There are also yeah. some other kind of weird physiologic things like it sort of balances, it deactivates your parasympathetic nervous system, which is what releases like adrenaline and, and stuff like that. So it'll slow down. It'll work in a physiologic way to like reduce your pro-anxiety hormonal state. Mm-hmm. Um, but deep breathing can do it too. So I'd say ultimately do what works for you. This uh, technique arguably is a little bit, it will be like statistically slightly more su- successful for people with anxiety. Okay. So um, would you recommend doing this in place of like the deep breathing uh, before or after sleep? Or, so or so I, would, I would recommend that you follow what works for you. But a good place to start would be you figure out which one you want to do first. But I would start probably with this one for about five to ten minutes and then do your normal deep breathing for about ten minutes with a goal of about 20 minutes of practice. Okay, that's uh, that's completely reasonable. Um, And then so just other questions like how long because you were kind of instructing me this time, like how long would you say, like do the nostrils and then like, like uh, switch into the, uh, the regular breathing or whatever, or like, I guess with both nostrils is what I'm saying. Yeah. So, so I would say do the alternate nostril breathing for five to 10 minutes and then do whatever deep breathing practice you have been doing for mm-hmm. about 10 minutes. So, uh, I mean, like, literally like continue to swap the nostrils for the full 10 minutes. Is that what you're saying? No. Yeah. For five to 10 minutes. Yeah. So, okay. 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 Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Um, and then after that, do your own deep breathing practice where, you know, you're doing whatever. Um, another question is, does it matter like how I'm doing it? Like generally I kind of do my deep breathing laying down, like kind of preparing for bed. Like would it be preferred to uh, sit up or good question. So the most important thing is that your spine and your neck are straight. So laying, so laying down, down works, sitting up works, standing up works, Okay. but your mind, your back needs to be straight. Okay. I, I would say though, if you're going to do this alternate nostril breathing practice, I would do that sitting up and then lay down and then do mm-hmm. your, your regular deep breathing. Okay. I can do that. Okay. Excellent questions. Mm-hmm. Look at who has questions now, bitch. <laughs> I All right. <laughs> Sorry, I need to. I didn't need to tack on the bitch at the end. <laughs> That's okay. You know, not affected. Um, interesting, right? Because like, <laughs> great questions. Really fantastic questions, Chuck. Love them. Any any other questions? Now I may have embarrassed you or tanked it, but <laughs> no, I, no, I, I, I actually don't that. think I have any other questions. Okay. okay, great, excellent questions. So good luck to you. You know. Um, you, you know, let me know how things go. If you, if you kind of like, I think we have like a quick guide that will send people post stream. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope I'm not shooting myself in the foot, but I'm pretty sure we we do this where, you know, a lot of people, uh, you know, have like more private questions or things like that about how to find a therapist and stuff. So mm-hmm. I, I think we've got a, you know, so we can sort of help you with, with that a little bit. Um, 
you, you know, if you, and so just take advantage of that if you want to. Um, and then, you know, I, I think if you, if you want to, I think there's still other stuff we could still talk about. So we can, I, I don't know exactly how scheduling works, but if you ever, you know, want to come back, I think, um, definitely we can focus a little bit more on, on what's happened over the last three years. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, that's also something that you, you know, I, you don't need to do with us. You can definitely do with your therapist, but it, mm-hmm. it just feels to me like something that was pretty significant that we kind of didn't have time for, which is fine. But, mm-hmm. you know, I would encourage you to continue exploring that with someone. For sure. Sound good? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Good luck to you, man. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Take care, man. Bye. Yeah, you too.